So a guy by the name of Arthur tells a story of a time when a friend of his named Walter asked him to go for a drive. I want to take him for a drive out into the countryside about 25 miles outside of the city where they lived. And so they got in the car one Saturday afternoon and drove off the beaten path down a tiny kind of country road past a row of trees until they stopped the car to stare at a vast expanse of kind of just abandoned field. All they could see were some horses grazing beside some of the old abandoned shacks. The reason Walter had brought Arthur out to show him this field was to make kind of a business proposition with him. Uh, Apparently, Arthur's friend Walter uh, was buying some of this land. And his intent was to build a park. And so he was inviting his friend Arthur to get in on the opportunity by buying the land beside it. In his mind, he shared with Arthur, um, you know, Arthur could buy this land and develop it into like restaurants and hotels and things for people who would come and spend time visiting in this park that was to be created in some of this land. That was the opportunity that Arthur was presented. Well, I'm sure you can understand Arthur's reaction. Um, He tried to describe to his friend uh, the tight financial situation that he was in, that he probably wouldn't be able to make it work. Instead of letting up, though, um, Arthur's friend only pushed harder, trying to help him understand that in just five years' time, this land was going to be worth hundreds of times more than its current value. Arthur, you know, felt like he could wait on that, but was, you know, being pressured and insisted that, no, he needed to make that decision today until eventually Arthur just said to his friend that, that he was out, that he was uninterested in this opportunity that was being presented to him. Uh, This is actually a true story and uh, took place years ago. The man named Arthur is a guy by the name of Art Linkletter. You probably have never heard of him. His friend Walter, though, you probably are familiar with. Uh, He went by the name Walt and his last name was Disney. And Art Linkletter shares this story to describe one of the greatest missed opportunities in all of business history when he failed to purchase all of the land surrounding this park that his friend Walter was going to make called Disneyland in California. If nothing else today, I hope that every single one of us here this morning will awaken to the opportunity in front of us and that none of us will miss the opportunity that God is giving us today. If you brought a Bible or a Bible app along, turn to chapter eight of the book of Luke and we're gonna discover this opportunity through the lives of Jesus' disciples. Beginning in verse 22 in Luke chapter eight, it says this, one day Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke Jesus saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. 
And he got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where's your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. On first glance, this is a fairly simple episode. This first episode that we're going to look at this morning. Jesus and his friends go for a boat ride. Jesus has a nap. A storm ensues. They freak out. They have to wake him up. He quickly calms the storm. All is good. Just a kind of a standard day in the life of Jesus and his disciples. What I find somewhat shocking, though, is their reaction to all of this. Where when they say, who is this? Some translations say, who is this man or who is this guy? Now, they're indicated that they really have no clue who, who this Jesus is, which I personally find so shocking because, remember, that these have been disciples of Jesus for some time. These have been people who've had the opportunity to hear Jesus teach many times on what the kingdom of God is like and who he came to earth to be as the promised savior sent from God, the promised predicted Jewish Messiah. Not not only that, they had all kinds of opportunity giving up the rest of their lives to spend fully with Jesus and visit and live with him. (coughs) Excuse me, and and dialogue about all the questions that they might have, (coughs) excuse me, related to his teaching. So not only were they getting taught by Jesus, they were getting to spend time directly with him to unpack all of their questions and concerns. And yet that teaching and that conversation that they had with Jesus himself was producing a level of understanding culminating with the phrase, who is this? When they came to really recognizing the person of Jesus. I find that shocking because so many of us put ourselves in environments of teaching and environments where we converse about life and faith. But if we had the opportunity to do that with Jesus himself, Jesus himself as our teacher and Jesus himself fostering conversation among us, you'd want to think that you were at a further level than just a who is this kind of understanding. Now fast forward one chapter later to the middle of Luke chapter 9 where it says this. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that you're one of the prophets long ago that has come back to life. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are God's Messiah. In this passage, Um, Some translations say that Peter's response is, you are the Messiah sent from God. Meaning you are the promised Jewish Messiah, the Savior sent by God to the world. And in this episode, you realize that on behalf of his buddies, Peter, as one of Jesus' followers, is blindingly clear about who Jesus really is. He has a level of understanding that is spot on. And he doesn't just answer quickly. He answers accurately and clearly and confidently. And I feel like for those of us reading along, we should be equally as surprised by this reaction as we were in the first reaction in the middle of Luke chapter 8. Because in the middle of Luke chapter 8, you would expect them to know who Jesus is. And yet they're at a who is this man kind of faith and understanding. But with a who is this man kind of faith and understanding, now we're surprised that they're so clear and so confident and so accurate about who Jesus is. Kind of makes you wonder what changed between Luke's 
recording of the middle, the episode in the middle of chapter 8 and this episode in the middle of chapter 9. Did Jesus kind of double down on the teaching and say, hey guys, just so we're clear, this is absolutely, resolutely who I am. Did he provide more teaching to them? Or did he provide more conversation? Did he kind of take them out to the woodshed and say, hey, you know, guys, I'm a little disappointed by your performance in the boat. Let's make a few things clear and process with them his true identity. What did Jesus do to help trigger the understanding or the spiritual awakening, kind of that aha moment that took place between the middle of Luke 8 and the middle of Luke chapter 9? Well, pay attention to what it says in verses one and two of Luke nine, right sandwiched in between these two episodes. It says there, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. In this instance, appreciate that up until now, these disciples have listened to Jesus' teaching and they've conversed with Jesus about a life of faith. But when it comes to this kind of stuff, they've just been spectators watching Jesus do this himself. Watching Jesus reach out and serve the needs of people around him, especially those who were really hurting. But in this moment, Jesus kind of shifts gears and he empowers them with that opportunity and that responsibility as well. No longer are Jesus' disciples just kind of sitting around listening to him explain things to him. And no longer are they just around sitting, kind of kibitzing, you know, processing what Jesus is teaching. They're not just listening and they're not just talking about a life of faith anymore. At this point, they've gone out and not just outside of their regular routines, probably outside of their comfort zones to put themselves not just in proximity with Jesus, but in proximity with people in need and are now actively sharing in the, the caring of other people's needs and sharing in the hope and healing work and mission of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to suggest that it's in this experience of sharing in the hope and healing of Jesus Christ that the spiritual aha moment triggers. And I wonder if you would agree with me. Uh, let me ask it differently and ask yourself, what would happen had Jesus not done that to those disciples? Had Jesus not sent them out and experienced his work and mission for themselves? You know, imagine or imagine if he had, but then they refused. If all of a sudden, you know, one of their disciples, you know, they were told by Jesus to go out and do this, be involved in his work and mission. And one of the disciples said, you know what, guys, I just got Netflix. Why don't you come on over and watch with me? Or, you know, one, one of the disciples said, you know, um, with, with, with my kids' schedules, I can only really, you know, carve out an hour or so a week. And so, you know, I'm just going to kind of visit those times where you're doing some teaching. If you could let me know when those are, I'll, I'll show up to those. You know, I'm a little too busy or I want to I wanna do something else. I don't have time for this sort of thing. What, what would happen, do you think, if the disciples had refused to engage in that experience? Personally, I think that they would have missed the opportunity of a lifetime. They would have missed the opportunity to get to know Jesus in that clear and confident way. The way that Peter did in the middle of Luke 9. I believe that what fundamentally changed wasn't that Jesus taught them more or that Jesus conversed with them more. 
I believe what fundamentally changed is that Jesus included them in his work and mission. And through the inclusion in his work and mission, the disciples of Jesus gained a spiritual awakening and a spiritual aha that they could have never experienced otherwise. Science tells us that. Science tells us the value of what we call experiential education. In you know, simple terms, it's just learning by doing. Um, we've studied this before in environments like this. The, the research by someone, uh, for example, like a, a guy named Edgar Dale, who devised through his research this, what he calls cone of experience. You can take a look on this chart that, you know, there is a relationship between certain opportunities to learn and the retention rates of those opportunities. Basically, the degree that you actually retain the information. And so you'll see in, in, the, in the cone, you know, near the top, that people will retain 20%, for example, of what they hear, which isn't necessarily good news for one-directional communicators. Go down another rung and you'll see that, you know, people can retain 30%, 10% more if they can view images, which is why I'm showing you this image of Dale's cone so that you can retain an extra 10%. But if you go all the way down to the bottom, you see that, you know, when it comes to people doing the very thing that they're learning and even better explaining while they're doing the thing that they're learning, they can retain up to 90% of what it is that they're trying to learn. And from the science of experiential education, we discover that through experience, we can experience ahas. We can learn things that we would otherwise never be able to discover or understand. And the same thing's true spiritually. You know, you look around and in law, they encourage people in law school to do articling. And in, you know, medical school, you do residency, right? In trade schools, they push people towards apprenticeships. In teacher's college, you become a student teacher. The same thing is true spiritually, that to really understand a life of faith and to really understand the person of Jesus requires more than just head knowledge and more than just conversation about information. At the end of the day, it requires the experience of involving yourself in the actual way of life of Jesus, in his mission and work in the world, particularly sharing his hope and healing with those in need. And through that experience, you undergo spiritual aha moments that you would otherwise never be able to glean or gain in those other learning environments. Put it the other way, to fail to engage and to involve yourself in the mission and work of Christ, giving back and sharing the hope and healing of God, especially to those who need it most, is to miss out on the greatest opportunity that God provides to understand him fully and completely. And I know, just by way of a timeout of sorts, I know that we don't often talk about investing our lives into people in need in that way from the perspective of what we, we might glean. You know, most of the time we'll talk about our civic responsibility or our, you know, spiritual responsibility to share in the life of blessing that God has entrusted us to, especially, you know, on a, on a day like Thanksgiving Sunday, you know, to fully reflect 
on the blessing that God has poured out on your life is to consider those who are less fortunate and to reach out and to make an investment in them. To truly live out that heart is to live out a heart of others' orientation, you know, of generosity and consideration of the other. You can't legitimately be serving others for what you gain out of it, can you? That's not what I'm suggesting here. And just for clarification, I'm not suggesting that we involve ourselves in the work and mission of Jesus for what we would gain through sharing the hope and healing with people who need it most. Not suggesting that we would get involved in that for what we would gain. But I am suggesting that we would get involved in it and in it to a greater degree for how we will grow. How we will grow is different than what we would gain selfishly for ourselves. If you want to kind of pursue this a little bit further, I would encourage you to go onto our website and look under the message archives to four years ago in July of 2013. We had a, a pastor from Toronto named Greg Paul uh, come and share with us uh, what he describes as the four gifts of the poor. Greg is a pastor of a street church called Sanctuary in Toronto. And he shared with us then these four benefits that people can gain through involving themselves in the lives of the less fortunate and sharing the hope and healing with others as we include ourselves in the mission and work of Christ. He said, for starters, there's a gift he calls a gift of welcome. That you know, when you reach out to those marginalized by society, and in that sense, unmarginalize them, you start to experience the welcoming, inclusive heart of God and understand that better for yourselves. Talks number two about the gift of safety. That when you invest yourself in relationship with people who are too suffering and too struggling to pretend like they have it all together, it actually lowers the guard of everyone and makes it safer to be honest and authentic about your own life and the ways in which you don't have it all together either. Number three talks about the gift of attentiveness. That when you're face to face, just in deep relationship, entering into someone else's world, you discover that you can't save them. And it puts a light on the reality that you can't save you either and makes you more aware of your desperate need for God. And benefit number four, he talks about the gift of epiphany. That when you invest yourself, you know, in the poor, the marginalized and excluded, remembering that Jesus said, whatever you do for the least in society of these, you do for me. You are actually giving yourself the chance to look Jesus in the eye through these developing friendships. Stop and think about those gifts of the poor for a second. You know, understanding the accepting and inclusive heart of God. You know, encountering a greater degree of God's safety and grace for who you are, no matter what you've done. Realizing your desperate need for God in a really palpable way and having the opportunity to see God face to face. You know, what serious-minded person of faith wouldn't love the opportunity to grow in those ways? And yet, that kind of growth opportunity doesn't generally present itself simply through environments of information presentation or of conversation to process that information. 
Those kind of growth opportunities only present themselves when you directly immerse yourself in the experience of the work and mission of Christ by sharing his hope and healing with the poor, the marginalized, the excluded and the needy among us. And when you do, you get to grow in that way. But when you refuse or resist to, you miss out on the greatest opportunity that God has given us. The opportunity to really know for sure the reality of the life and love of the person of Jesus Christ. Around here, we don't want anyone to miss out on that opportunity and so here at Southridge, we've actually over the years built and developed a third, what we call primary program, a, 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 an experience that exists to drive our way of life of faith. In this series called The Invitation, we've talked about the first two of our primary programs, our weekend gatherings where we can practice the presence of God, stimulating a life of close intimacy with him. We talked last week about our primary program called Life Groups, where we invite people to show up, join in, and be real, and to learn how to do the kind of relationships that enable our lives to be done better together than alone. Today we want to talk about this third primary program that we refer to around here as our Anchor Causes. Our anchor causes are quite simply our focused initiatives of compassion and justice that seek to serve a societal, a societal need that is unique to each of the Southridge locations where we find ourselves across Niagara. You know, supporting single parent families in Welland, coming alongside and befriending migrant farm workers in Vineland and serving and supporting the homeless in St. Catharines. Each of these anchor causes focuses on a specific area of need across the Niagara region and serves to meet it, serves to bring the hope and healing of Jesus Christ into the lives of people who need it most. But at the same time, we've been abundantly clear that this primary program exists to drive a way of life of faith for those of us who involve ourselves in it. And in this case, to stimulate a spiritual aha and a, a growth opportunity to understand Jesus like we never could before. Our anchor causes exist both to meet the needs across Niagara and to provide experiential learning opportunities for all of us. And we don't want any of you to miss out on it. That's why around here, we don't just measure our attendance rates like many churches do on Sunday mornings or in our, in our weekend gatherings. We also measure what we call our connection rates, the number of our gatherers who are also involved in our life group program. And we do real well in that regard. We float somewhere around 80% as a connection rate. But lately, we've been also tracking what we call an engagement rate. The number of people or the percentage of people among our large group gatherings who are also taking the step of including themselves in the work and mission of Jesus by involving themselves in our anchor causes around Southridge. And these days, with an engagement rate of 82% in Vineland, 53% in St. Catharines, and 41% in Welland, We've gained a lot of ground in that regard, but know that we've got a lot of ground to still go if we're going to include everyone in this tremendous opportunity. So, 
on this final morning called the invitation. This is simply what we want to cast to all of you. To invite every single one of you, especially if you haven't done this already, to get yourself involved in the anchor cause of your location so that you can involve yourself in the work and mission of Christ, bringing his hope and healing to people who need it the most. In practical terms, at the end of our service, a host is going to come up at each of our locations and announce the next Discover event. A Discover event is simply the open house of orientation for each of our anchor causes. And it will help you discover, creative name, it will help you discover all the ways that you can plug into the anchor cause of your location depending on your schedule and strengths. Pay attention to that date and time and don't miss out on taking that step today. Sign up for and go to the Discover event of the anchor cause of your location. Know that this is a big deal for us around here. We've said many times that around here these days, we invest over 50% of our resources into this particular aspect of the life of faith that we're trying to foster. You know, many churches, ours included from years ago, ignore this. They'll put a lot of money into their gatherings. They'll pour a lot of money into the conversations about their gatherings, but spend very little in doing this. Over half of every dollar that we collect from our donations goes into cultivating this particular aspect of a life of faith in Christ. This is the thing that makes Southridge Community Church so unique across Niagara and even across our country. You know, you can look at churches all over the place and try to figure out what they're about. You go to their websites, you'll see a picture of their building or you'll see a picture of their auditorium or of their worship band or of their pastor teaching. At Southridge, you won't find that. You go to our website and what do you see right front and center on our homepage? Stories of reciprocal transformation as people have taken the step to involve themselves in the work and mission of Jesus and who have been ravaged by God in an amazing way as they've been grown and blessed in the process. And we want that for everyone. We don't want anyone to miss out on that opportunity. Ask yourself today, you know, what it is that you're doing these days to foster your growth. Are you putting yourself in environments where you're being taught? Probably. Are you putting yourself in environments where you're conversing about what's being taught? Probably. But are you missing out on the greatest opportunity to grow and experience the greatest spiritual aha moments that God wants to provide by including yourself in the work and mission of Jesus through one of our location's anchor causes. You know, it was Confucius who once said, I hear and I forget. I see and I remember. I do and I understand. We want to invite you today into taking advantage of the opportunity for experiential learning that we want to provide as we extend the hope and healing to all kinds of people across the Niagara region. Because around here, we fundamentally believe that the message of Jesus and the message of the Bible is ultimately a message of love. It's not a message of rules It's not a message of guilt. 
It's not a message of shame and it's not a message of fear. Fundamentally, the good news of Jesus is a love-based gospel where a God of love who created humanity in his image out of love sent his son to live and die and rise again to redeem and restore us in his love. And while he taught on earth, boiled down everything in a life of faith to two commandments that both start with love, who invited us into a life of faith that the scriptures say only counts when it expresses itself in love. You can't learn love in a lecture. And you can't discover love just by talking about it. If you want to really understand the life and love of Jesus Christ for yourself in an I know who Jesus is kind of a way, you have to experience it. Don't be art link letter today and allow the opportunity of a lifetime that God is presenting you and I and us together as a church to pass us by. Let's give ourselves fully to the work and mission of Christ and allow God to grow us in unbelievable ways in the process. That's the opportunity that we want none of you, none of you to miss today. Let's pray. God, I'm just thankful for the incredible opportunity that you've given us as a church. For the way that you've grown and developed us over these years to build these amazing things called anchor causes. For the incredible things that you do through them. And the amazing things that you want to do in us as we involve ourselves with you in them. God, I pray that you would light a fire under every single one of us that has never taken that step to discover how you might want to involve us in that way, to do that today. And at the very least, to sign up and attend one of our Discover events. God, for those of us who are involved in this way, help us to invite others to that party and to include others in the opportunity to develop the kind of relationships where, as we say around here, friendship makes the difference in others and in us. And God, as you do, I pray that we will be quick to give you all the credit and glory, not only in the ways that you share and shower people with your love through us, but in the ways that you grow us and awaken us to the reality of who you are and to the life and love of Jesus Christ for certain. Thanks for the ways that you want to do that in every one of us. Help us not to miss out on that opportunity today. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.